Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. If you remember last week, blind Bartimaeus, he received his sight. In fact, the only reason that he asked Jesus to see, we discovered, was so that he might follow him to Jerusalem. There was a passion, there was a motivation behind his prayer, and it was that he could follow Jesus. If you just look up a few verses in Mark chapter 10, verse 50, throwing aside his garment, blind Bartimaeus rose and came to Jesus. I got to remind you, he was blind and he is walking toward God. Nobody's helping him. This is a true walk of faith. And it would be from this scripture that possibly the Apostle Paul would be inspired where he would give us the great theology of the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, take a look at the screen. Paul exhorts the church, for we walk by faith, say it with me, not by sight. Have you ever wondered what that means? What does it mean, what we hold to? We walk by faith and not by sight. Well, the example of Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of faith where all of our heroes of faith are mentioned. It was by faith, Noah. Noah heard the word. He heard God give him exact details for an ark, and he built the boat. By faith, Abraham. Abraham heard the word. Leave Ur of the Chaldeans and go to the land of Canaan. And Abraham went. By faith, Sarah. Sarah heard the word that she would have a child, and by faith, she acted upon it. By faith, Moses. Moses heard the word of God out of the burning bush, and Moses went to Egypt, and he ministered to Pharaoh. By faith, blind Bartimaeus heard him Jesus called his name, and by faith, he walked to Jesus and received his sight. And it's for this moment that the Mark, he would give us the gospel of Mark, and with blind Bartimaeus as our example, Mark will use this as a backdrop to talk to us to, about what it means to walk by faith. So in order to begin this section, would you go with me to Mark chapter 11, verse 22? Maybe you'll underline it. It's the theme of our entire two-week series, Have Faith in God. Mark chapter 11, verse 22, Have Faith in God. Blind Bartimaeus would inspire Mark. This story will now lead us into Mark chapter 11, where we will learn what it means to have faith in God. Blind Bartimaeus would inspire the Apostle Paul, where he would tell us that faith comes by hearing, and hearing of the Word of God. Blind Bartimaeus would inspire the writer of Hebrews to let us know that faith is the evidence of things unseen, to fight the good fight of faith. And finally, John, he would let us know that faith is the victory 
that has overcome the world. And in the next two weeks, we're going to take a look at what it means to have faith in God. Let's begin Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Mark chapter 11, verse 1. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage at Bethany, just about two miles outside of Jerusalem for you to know, at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go. Now that's a word that we should get very used to with the gospel, the word go. Go into the village opposite you. And as soon as you have entered in it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it, bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord, the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. So they went their way and found the colt tied by the door outside the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to him, What are you doing, loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. If you're taking note, something that we are going to study today, maybe you will write it down. The walk of faith receives the word and responds in obedience. The walk of faith receives the word and responds in obedience. You see, in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul gives us a truth about the word of God. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The disciples have heard the word of God that they are to go into the next village. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses... Blind Bartimaeus all had one thing in common. They heard the word and they responded to the word. Can you imagine if Noah didn't want to build the ark? What would have happened? Or if Moses decided not to go to Egypt? Well, here the disciples are doing the same thing. You see, Noah and Moses, Abraham and Sarah, they all trusted that the promises of God were true. Can I tell you something about Jesus? Paul makes it very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, that all, not some, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. All of them, not some of them. And the disciples had just received a promise. Go into the village. There's going to be a donkey there. This is a promise from the word of God. And now the disciples have a choice. Are you going to trust the promise of God, and are you going to go into the village? Jesus knows something. Jesus knows that he's not going to be with them that much longer. He knows that he is going to die on the cross, he's going to be resurrected, and he will ascend to heaven. So what Jesus does is he puts two disciples on a practice run. I want you to walk by faith. I'm going to send you on ahead of me. I'm not going to go with you. All I'm going to do is give you the word. That's like all of us, right? Jesus is not physically with us. But this morning, oh, you're the 1030 service. I know you woke up at 7 o'clock. I know that you've been in 1 Samuel. I know you've been digging in the Word already. And all I am is just dessert for you. Amen? Amen. Only five of you agreed. (laughs) Don't disappoint me, 1030. 
And I know when you dug into the Word of God, you were reading a book. Not true. Not true. You were listening in a conversation. You were listening to the voice of God. Because the Bible is living. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God, your holy Bible, is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Have you ever been in an argument with your spouse and your devotions just happen to be Ephesians chapter 5, love your wives? And then all of a sudden, you feel the dagger of the Spirit cut all the way to your soul because the Word of God is not a book. It's a conversation. Some of you right now, you've got an iPhone in your pocket and someone may send you a text message. You'll feel it. And I will watch during service. You will reach into your back pocket because you have faith. You believe. You believe, means something. Someone somewhere has sent you a message. Now, they're not in the room. That's why you got the in your backside. And you're trying to be all discreet so that I can't see it, but I can see it. (laughs) So you might as well just pull it out and read it when you get the Now, that's a step of faith, isn't it? Because though the person is not with you, You believe that someone real, somewhere, has sent you a text message so much so that you actually will disrupt my Bible study (laughs) so that you can hear the message from the person that's not in the room, though you believe that they sent it to you, and you can read it. It's the same with God. The Bible is a zzzt from God. Though we can't see him as believers, we believe he has sent us a message. And the Bible is a text message from God. And when you read his message, you can't help but feel it in your heart, in your soul, and in your mind. Because there's something powerful about the Word. There is something powerful about the Word. In fact, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, now I'm going to read it from the NIV. The Bible says... All Scripture is God-breathed, comes straight from God. It's a text message from God and is useful. I need you to see how useful this word is. This word from Jesus to the disciples is predictive. Let me tell you why it's predictive. Because Jesus knows the future. He knew the future of the disciples. He knew there would be a town. He knew there would be a donkey tied up. And he was sending the disciples to live in the great promise of God. Church, can I tell you, God knows your future. It's why he's given you the Bible. 
He knows exactly how to lead you. He knows exactly how to lead you to your greatest success. He's leading all of us to a tied up donkey if we would just choose to follow the word of God. He's omniscient. He knows how to direct you into the best future that will glorify him. He knows what job you should have. He knows what neighborhood you should live in. He knows what school you should go to. The question for us is, do we trust him? Do we go to God in our prayer life? Bless me for this, bless me for this, bless me for this, and bless me for that, and bless me for that. (laughs) In Jesus' name, gotta go by, amen. And the whole time, God is trying to speak to us. He's trying to... What's our prayer life like? Are we going to God to receive a blessing for what we want to do? Or do we trust that he knows our future and we're asking him, what school should I go to? What church should I go to? I hope it's Calvary Chapel South Bay. What, what, where should I live? What neighborhood should I live in? What gym should I work out in? Am I asking God how, where, and what? Or am I just simply saying, would you please bless me? He's predictive. The word of God is predictive. The word of God is also very, very practical. I want you to go to the next town. There will be a donkey. I want you to untie it. Would you see how practical it is? Because the word of God is not just spiritual. It's very practical. So practical. Can I tell you something? When you order a desk from Ikea. Okay. I can't afford Ashley. Okay. I go to Ikea. You might be able to afford Ashley. I go to Ikea, okay? And you got to put it together. When you put it together, you're actually hoping that the Swedish people have put all of the nuts and screws and the bolts inside there. We're trusting them. But we're also trusting that when I open the user menu, when I open the directions, that it will explicitly give me. Now, the Swedish people, they they don't think we're smart, okay? A-A. B, B. Like they just, everything is there. Like we can't even look at the picture. They give us a letter that just tells us where it is and what it is. It's so specific, so practical that if you choose to put the desks together exactly like they've told you to, because they're the creator, they're the developer, they know how to put it together. God's word is practical. It's a user's guide. When you open it up and you read it, it gives you great practical advice on how to live your life. The word of God is also very specific. Let me tell you something about Jesus. He does not struggle with clarity. And a lot of people come up to me and they say, well, I just don't understand. When the Bible says be unequally yoked, I just don't understand that. And I always say, do you not understand or do you just not agree? Because that's always the excuse. Well, I mean, there are missionaries in the Bible, and so I believe they're in missionary dating. Well, when the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked, what are you struggling with? What don't you understand? Let me tell you something about Jesus. He doesn't struggle with clarity. Go to the next town. Which town? The next one. The very next one. I want you to go to the next town. I want you to go in the town, and there will be a donkey. Did you say a lamb? No, a donkey. And I want you to untie. You want me to tie the donkey? No, no, no. Untie. 
untie the donkey. God's word is very specific. The issue is not clarity. It's whether or not we choose to follow. Amen? Amen doesn't mean you agree with me. Amen means when God tells you to forgive. Just saying. God's word is also very directive. He said to the disciples, Hey, would you help me out, please? No, 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 no. Go. Go into the next village. When my children were smaller... I would say, please make your bed. Make your bed. They'd go to school. The bed wasn't made. I'd come home and I, they'd come home and I'd ground them. <gasps> Why are you grounding me? And I said, because you didn't make your bed. I was planning on doing it when I got home from school. That's not obedience. That's choice. That's not the way that we run our house here. I, this is a totalitarian government, not a democratic government. <laughs> You do not get to choose when you obey. Because if you choose when you obey, that's not obedience. That's just you deciding when you're going to do whatever you would like to do. So I need to let you know you're grounded. That's not fair. I don't care. God bless you. We'll see you in a week. You see, the understanding when God's word says go, go. Let me tell you what go means. My son heard the word go to Peru. And he's on his way to Peru. But can I tell you something? We didn't have the money to send him. And he didn't have the money to send him. But he trusted God when God told him to go. Can you imagine if Noah decided to wait 120 years? I'm still praying about whether or not I should build this ark or not. And then all of a sudden it starts to rain. Can you imagine if he decided to wait? He would have destroyed his whole family. When God says go, Timon heard go. So he signed up for Peru. We didn't have the money to do it. Yesterday, we had a graduation party. He graduated from high school. And he got every dollar he needed to go to Peru. He took a step of faith. And he decided to be obedient to God. And God blessed him with exactly what he needed. And what I love about my son is he's taking every dollar and he's putting it towards a mission trip, not even towards a car. Because God told him to go. To go. Let me tell you something else about the Word of God. It's helpful. It's helpful. Hey, listen. Go into the next town. I'm trying to help you out here, okay? You have no idea what this is for, but God's word is helpful. I want you to go and just listen. Maybe you don't know why, but it's helpful. And when you get there, listen, they're going to say to you, what are you doing? Take him a donkey. I want you to say to them, the Lord, I'm going to help you out. The Lord has need of him. Let me tell you something. Do you know why God's word says, don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever? but I'm missionary dating and he's so handsome. I don't know if you've seen his biceps. They're just so big. And when he stretches and puts his arm around, it's just heavy. I just, let me tell you something about those biceps at 35. First they're like this and then they come down here. 
They just move, okay? That's all they do. They just move. And let me tell you something. If he's not saved when you're dating him and you choose to marry him, try raising children with an unsaved spouse. There are many people in our church that are walking through it, and there's a constant struggle. And what God is saying is don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. He's trying to help you out. That's what God is doing. He loves you and wants the best plan for you. Let the church say amen. Amen. Now, I love our disciples. Finally, in the Gospel of Mark, after 10 chapters, 10 chapters, look at verse 4. So they went their way. I almost want to applaud. They have responded to the word of God. There's no questions. There's no shooing children away. There's no getting rid of the Syrophoenician women. They are doing what God has asked them to do. How tragic. How tragic it would have been if they chose not to go. And can we just think about what they were thinking for just a moment? I mean, Jesus wouldn't have gone in on a donkey. And we're going to see in a moment how tragic that would have been. But could we just stop for a moment and think of what the disciples were thinking? Okay, you want us to go into a town that you've not even been into. And you want us to go into that town, and there's going to be a donkey, which you don't know because you've not been there, and it's going to be tied up. And you would like for us to go to that donkey, just take the donkey off the fence, and then tell the people that might ask us, hey, (laughs) we're taking this donkey, and the Lord has need of him. Hey, Jesus, I don't know if you understand this. There's potential jail time for stealing donkeys. This would be like Jesus coming to us and saying, hey, listen, go on Main Street in Carson, very first car on the left, just take it. (laughs) I'm hoping it's a Beamer. I mean, at least a 2023. Come on. Thank you, Jesus, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Listen, this is exactly what it would be like. I want you to go down on Main Street there in Carson, and I would like for you to take the very first car on the left. Think of what's going through their mind. But faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. When God speaks to us through his word, do we believe him for it? No matter what. They've been given a promise. I got a donkey for you. They've been given a promise. I'm solving your problem. I know you're wondering, what am I going to go into Jerusalem on? I've got a promise for you, and I'm going to solve your problem. Go to the next town. And as believers, when God speaks, you can't help but respond because you believe. Noah, he heard the word and he responded. And when the flood came, he had an ark to go into. Abraham. Abraham believed that he was going to have a child in his old age. Take a look at Scripture. It's Romans chapter 4, verse 20. Romans 4, 20. Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. When the angels showed up and said to Abraham, this time next year you're going to have a child, when they left, Abraham looked at Sarah and said, 
Come on, babe. We got to go in the tent. It's you and me tonight, babe. Light the candles. No wonder Sarah laughed. <laughs> your bicep is hanging down on your arm. I ain't going to that, that tent with you. You're 90 years old. I'm 75. I'm past the years. Of... Come on, babe. Jesus, pro- God promised it. Let's go on in the tent. Do you realize they were giving glory to God with a lit candle? Do you realize the imp- I'm just making the Bible real. Come on. Paul put it all pleasant. I'm putting it in Calvary Chapel South Bay language. <laughs> Understand Abraham had to say to Sarah, you and me, babe, tonight. And they trusted God that though they were not able to have children, they went in that tent. Husbands, I'm helping you out. (laughs) Jesus. Jesus trusted God's word. It was the heart of Jesus to please the Father. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, listen to what Jesus knew. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He's just. He's having salvation. Lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. This takes a lot of faith on Jesus' part. He's not riding on a donkey. That's not what the Bible says. He's riding on a colt. You know how when we're younger, we're foolish? When I was in my late teens, I saw a colt. C-O-L-T. And I thought to myself, if Jesus could ride one, so could I. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Jesus is Jesus, and Chet is Chet. But I believed, and I looked at that colt that it's never been ridden before, and I said, today, today I'm riding you. And it was one of those cross-back colts. So it's the one that supposedly Mary was on on the way to Bethlehem, okay? So I'm like, I'm... (laughs) And this colt was maybe just over a year. And I'm getting on this colt. Never been ridden by anyone before. But I believed. I got on that colt and I I held on to the mane. And I sat bareback on that colt. You know what that colt did? (laughs) And started bucking me all over the place. Then it saw a tree. It ran, let me tell you, I don't know why we call each other donkeys because donkeys are smart. It ran towards that tree and it knocked me up against that tree, but I'm holding on. And then it saw two trees. It ran right in the middle of those two trees. It was narrow enough to make it through, but my shoulders weren't. And it knocked me right off. True story. It turned around, put its hoof out and went, it laughed at me. I've been laughed at by a donkey. Feel like Balaam, I did. I did not speak to it. I may have said a few choice things to it. Now listen, here I am at 19 years old thinking I can ride a colt? Do you realize it was the miracle for Jesus to get on an animal that's never been ridden by a human being before and go down the streets of Jerusalem and it's just walking with Jesus on its back? Let me tell you why. The master was in control. And the animal with its intuition knew 
this is my creator, he is the master, and he is in control. This cult provides for us an understanding of our free will. The cult doesn't have a will. It must submit to the master. But Jesus has given us a free will to choose him or not to choose him. Now listen why that's important. Because the cult will not get saved. And to make a decision to come to Christ has got to be a choice of love, not a forced choice. I married my wife because I love her. I wanted to marry my wife. No one forced me to marry my wife. I married her because I love her. This cult shows us that he didn't have a will, but God has given us a free will to choose him because he doesn't want to force us to love him. He wants us to be in relationship with him and to love him. Now, question is, will you trust his word? Because here's his word. There is a heaven and there is a hell. Oh, Pastor Chet, it's 1030. I brought a friend. You're not going to do the H-E double hockey sticks, are you? Yes, I am. Because there is a heaven where God wants you to make a choice to be with him for eternity. And if you don't choose in your free will to be with God for an eternity by accepting Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, there is a place called hell. It was created for the devil and his angels. It wasn't created for human beings. Jesus said it was created for the devil and his angels. And you have an opportunity not to be in hell, separated from God for an eternity. You can be with Jesus because he came, he died on the cross, and he is the only way because he lived the perfect life and he died our death, but he rose from the grave and he conquered death and he's the only one that can give us life. Pastor Chet, I told you, (laughs) my friend's here and I don't know if you should talk about hell. Let me say it one more time. Because Jesus has given us a promise. And just like the donkey, I believe, because I believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord, when I take my last breath, I will look at Jesus in the face. It's a promise that he's given and one that I can hold on to. I trust his word. And can I tell you something about Jesus? He's never going to lie to us. And he will never lead us to do something that is contrary to his word. Like, steal this cult. Wait a second, Jesus, are you asking us to steal the cult? I mean, the Bible says, do not steal. I mean, we're going to go into this town, we're going to untie the donkey, and we're just going to tell the people, look, give it to us. The key is found in verse 3. Remember, he'll never say anything contrary to his word. He's never going to tell you to date an unsaved person. He just won't do it. Because he says, don't be unequally yoked. He's never going to say anything contrary to his word. People come to me all the time and they say, well, uh, I prayed about it. And I really believe, I feel it. God has told me. And you know what I say to them? Martha prayed about it. She really felt it. 
She really felt that Mary should have helped her, and she really felt that Mary should get off her knees and get into the kitchen. So she prayed about it. She went to Jesus, and she told Jesus, you better tell Mary to get up and help me. And what did Jesus do? Martha, Martha, you're worried about a lot of things, but Mary has chosen the better. Though Martha felt it, and though she prayed about it, she was wrong. That's why, as believers, we default to the Word, because His Word is always true. Look at verse 3. He's not telling them to steal. Verse 3, and if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. The Lord. The Lord. Jesus knew that the guys he was sending the disciples to were believers. Because the only people that respond to the Lord are believers. The disciples didn't know that these guys were believers. And the disciples didn't know the guys. The guys didn't know the disciples. But Jesus is on the move. Jesus has gone before. These guys have come to faith in Jesus Christ. They know Jesus as the Lord, and he's building faith in both the guys, and he's building faith in the disciples. And as soon as they say, the Lord has need of him, what did they do? They let them go. They let the donkey go. Now, we almost need to applaud the disciples at this point. We almost need to applaud them. And here's why. They're finally doing and saying exactly what Jesus has asked them to do and to say. They don't sugarcoat it. They don't make it sweet. They don't put a little flavor on every other side to make it culturally acceptable. They just simply say, we need the donkey. The Lord has need of it. They say it exactly the way the Lord has told them. So let me tell you for the fourth time. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And without God, you will spend an eternity separated from God in hell. But you have a choice. With God, you can be with him for eternity in heaven. That's the truth of the promise of Scripture. And God said it And I believe it. And our disciples are setting such a good example. Let me tell you a story. You can read it later. It's in Acts chapter 27. I love this story. Paul is in a storm. It's 14 days. They've not seen the sun. I don't know if you've ever been on a storm in the ocean. It's terrifying. 14 days, they've not seen the sun. They've not eaten. They've gotten rid of all the food. And Paul and all of everyone in the ship, they believe they're going to die. They believe it. So Paul is fervently in prayer. He's begging God. And finally, the Lord speaks to him on the 14th day. And he goes to the crew and he says to them, listen, God has promised me. He's given me a promise. There's going to be a donkey. He's given me a promise. We're all going to live. And he says to the crew, Therefore, he says, in Acts chapter 27, verse 25, Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. I need to tell you something. 
People in the world are in a storm, and we're praying for them. And we are begging God for their spiritual life. And if we sugarcoat the gospel and we try to flavor it to make it culturally accepted, we've got to follow the example of the disciples and just say it as it is. I got bad news for you. There's a hell, but I got good news for you. Jesus Christ died for you and you can be in heaven with him. We are offering salvation from the storm. And the Apostle Paul said it very clearly. I'm going to give it to you the way that God gave it to me. No more, no less. You will be saved. Church, this is the message of hope. Do we trust that? And our disciples, I want to applaud them because they don't sugarcoat what Jesus says. They simply say, the Lord has need of him. Because isn't that the goal of our faith? We're being encouraged to have faith in God. And isn't the goal of our faith to be conformed into his image? To act like Jesus. To speak like Jesus. No matter what culture in. No matter what century in. No matter what context you live in. Isn't the goal of our faith to look like Jesus? And I want to applaud the owners as well. Because these owners of the cult, they know the Lord. They know who their master is. Now, ladies, if you got one, go ahead and look at it. Take a look at your diamond ring. Go ahead and look at it. Go ahead, you can look at it. You want to pull your iPhone out? Don't look at your text messages. Take a look at it. Ladies, I want you to kind of dangle your ears a little bit and feel the gold that's kind of dangling on there. Or maybe take a look at your chain. Or gentlemen, why don't you take a look at your watch? For me, look at my shirt. BOGO, buy one, get one. I don't buy anything unless it's on sale. See, these shoes, got them right there at two-day suit people, whatever the store is, right down here, okay? Got it right down two-day suit, okay? I hope you work there, Okay. When all, I went there, okay? You know what I look for? The little red sign. Little red sign. You know what that red sign means? On sale. And they were selling these for 20. You know, when I get to the cash register, I'm third world. You know what I said? I'll give you 10. <laughs> You're getting rid of them anyway. And what's the, what's the harm in asking? Right? What's the harm in asking? Look, they're on sale. I'll give you 10. I got no shame. I got nine children. Trust me. I know how to be frugal. You see these jeans? Bottom in Turkey. You know how much I paid for them? Nine bucks. Nine bucks. Who's going with me to Turkey next time? <laughs> My outfit cost about 80 bucks, okay? Got socks on, got a little belt on, the whole deal. Your ring, I don't know how much. Your gold, not sure how much. Your watch, not sure how much, but I need to let you know something. These owners of the cult knew that Jesus was Lord, and anything they possessed wasn't theirs. The cult belonged to Jesus, and Jesus knew they were in relationship with him. So when he gave the word, tell them the Lord has need, they had no problem to give the donkey. My question is, do you got a problem with the ring? Do you got a problem with the gold? Because if he's the Lord, then my talent and my treasure, my, my, my testimony, it all belongs to Jesus. 
I'm just a steward of what God has given me. And when he speaks to me, do I own it? And will I respond in obedience? Because that's the walk of faith. That's the walk of faith. Remembering he is the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. As the ushers are coming forward to serve us communion, let's begin to prepare our hearts. Our Father, we do come before you today. And we want to have faith in God. And Lord, today we stop for just a moment. And church, this is a holy moment. We stop to remember you. We stop because, Lord, we are quick to forget. And we need you so desperately. And our prayer today, Lord, is that you would be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. In Jesus' name. On the night before he was crucified, our Lord asks us to do something. It's one of the sacraments of our faith. Oh, not juice and bread, but remembering him. Remembering him. We have a trip planned to Israel in 2024. November of 2024 gives us a lot of time to save for it. And when you go to the garden tomb and you look at Golgotha, the skeleton there, the skeleton face on that hill, you can almost hear the scream of when the nail went in the hand. It's that real, it's that potent, it's that powerful. problem is none of us are sitting in front of that hill our whole lives. We do life. But I've got a feeling that if that moment was in front of us every moment, if the cross or the the cry of that scream or that moment when he gave up his spirit, if that moment was in front of us all the time, none of us would yell at our kids. None of us would be upset with our spouse. None of us would cheat on our taxes. Because if that moment flashed up for us every single time, I guarantee we'd sin less. But because we forget, the Lord has offered an opportunity to remember. And what communion does, it gets us back on the same page with God. It reminds us that we are sinners saved by grace. There's not one of us in here that are perfect. I asked the last service, how many of you didn't sin yesterday? And you know, some people just don't participate. So I looked at one of the guys and I said, you didn't raise your hand. I'd like to know how you made it. How many of you sinned yesterday? 
You just, you sinned yesterday. You didn't mean it, but you sinned yesterday. Okay, for those of you who didn't raise your hand, I want to know how you did it. The problem is we don't hear the scream of the cross. We don't see the body that was broken. So what the Lord did was he said, listen, I know you're quick to forget. So I want to remind you. I want to remind you of my broken body and I want to remind you of the blood that was shed for me so that when you sin, listen, believer, when you sin, this will remind you that you've got to confess your sin and we can be back in good relationship. That's what this reminds the believer. I'm not perfect, but I can confess and I can be forgiven. But if you don't know Jesus, communion is not for you. Communion is for believers. Now, I'm not trying to be exclusive. In fact, I'm far from being exclusive. Communion reminds us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So communion is not excluding you. It's actually inviting you. You see, if you take this and you're not a believer, the Bible says you're heaping judgment on yourself. You're being a hypocrite. You're telling everyone that you believe in something that you don't. And so what communion does is it reminds us there's a way to Jesus. There's a way to God. And it's through His Son, Jesus Christ. He's the only way. And so before we take communion, I've given a little bit extra time because I'd like to lead you to the Lord. I'm going to ask you, if you don't know Jesus and you're holding those communion elements, would you pray a prayer of belief and receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord. So I'd like to lead you in a prayer. Would you just pray this from your heart, dear Jesus? I believe in you. And I want to know you here in this life and the life to come. Thank you for dying for me. In Jesus' name. I believe. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.